you think, uh, when you're young, you think your dad is Superman. Then you grow up and you realize he's just a regular guy who wears a cape. And uh, we, we find that out. We find that our fathers aren't perfect. We also find out, especially as we become fathers, that being a father is not quite so easy, right? Uh, that we do recognize, in fact, if you go uh, to the store or if you went to the store this past week and you were looking for a Father's Day card, you probably noticed that they were, uh, the current trend on those is that it's all about heroes, our fathers being heroes. And I guess it's because there's so many superhero movies out right now and uh, so much emphasis on uh, someone coming to rescue us or someone coming to save the world. And we like to think about our fathers being that way. And maybe you think about that in terms of how you, you wish your father, maybe some, some uh, of your fathers let you down, maybe some uh, have always been there for you and you have great stories and things like that. But we recognize that it is difficult being a father. It is difficult participating with God's creation in this world. And that's what we looked at last Sunday as we were in Genesis chapter 1 and part of chapter 2. And as we heard the description of what took place as God created all things and how God brought all of this out of a void and took the stuff of the world, the stuff of the universe, and formed and shaped it in such a way that it was something. And that something would continue on. And we also heard how God invited us as humankind to be involved with that creation, that we are creators, or really co-creators with God. And as we hear in this particular text today from Genesis chapter 18, uh, there is even more there. And for some reason, our reading skipped from chapter 1 and 2 all the way to 17 and then 25. We're moving quickly through Genesis But we see this very foundational story about someone or or two uh, individuals who come together as co-creators with God. And as we hear this, it informs us about how we are co-creators. One of the uh, most notable parts about this story is in recognizing that co-creating with God is sometimes laughable, isn't it? And we hear the laughter. In fact, we know the, uh, the name of Isaac is about laughter. And this laughter comes from not only Sarah. Uh, and as we hear in this, in this text, uh, it, it is uh, about her laughing. She's there in the tent and she is, is laughing. But if you look back in chapter 17, you'll see where Abraham is laughing. And as he falls on his face, God says, this is what I want to do in the world, and this is what I'm going to have you do. By the way, Abraham, I recognize you're 99 years old, yet you are going to birth a son. You're going to bring somebody into the world. Abraham had heard this before, that he was going to be a blessing to all nations, and that God would bless all people through him and And uh, as he heard this, it never happened. And so he gets to be 99 years old, and and God reminds him, this is what I'm going to do. And he falls on his face. 
And I'm sure all the way down to falling on his face, he's laughing. God, this makes no sense. And then we hear in in chapter 18 that this happens with Sarah. These three visitors, and there's a a painting here by uh, Mark Chagall that uh, depicts them, uh, and, and his understanding was these messengers would be angels, and as the angels are uh, appearing, or these messengers are appearing to Abraham, you can kind of see him here, and then you see some other things that are going on off in the distance there. But he is painting a picture of this story. The messengers come, and they say, uh, well, the next time we come back, and this is after the hospitality, and there's a whole lot we could talk about there, uh, but it reminds us of the hospitality of that culture and how he would have welcomed them in and done whatever he could to provide them with something to drink and eat. But as, as he hears these words, the next time we come back, you are going to have a child. And as this is going on, Sarah is in the tent. Uh, she is there listening. She's eavesdropping to find out what's going on. She knows that these three people are there. And she's probably wondering, what is it? What, what are they here to do? And then when she hears this, she starts laughing. And she's not laughing at herself. By the way, we hear that she is 100 years old. She's not, she's not really laughing about herself, even though I'm sure she's, she's thinking, there's no way I could bear a child. I'm 100 years old. And she's not only laughing at the biological aspect of it, But there's no romance, right? She's thinking, that hasn't happened in a long time. Maybe like 20 years. And how is this going to happen? But it's not just that. But, you know, even if we did do this, he's an old man. How's that going to happen? I mean, this was in pre-Cialis days. You know, you can't imagine the TV commercial with the two bathtubs and Abraham in one and Sarah in the other. That wasn't going to happen. And so she's thinking, that is not going to happen. There's an interesting reference in Hebrews about Abraham's state of creativity. And it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting little line that is in, in Hebrews. But he, it's just not going to happen. And so there is this laughter that takes place. God, there is no way. What kind of a plan is this? And sometimes we laugh too, don't we? We laugh at what God wants to do. And I think God was laughing as well. He's like, this is going to be great. They, I'm just going to stretch their faith out. It's been this way all along, and I'm just going to keep stretching their faith. The great artist Pablo Picasso said that the chief enemy of creativity is good sense. Right? This one of the most prolific painters. He knows about good sense. He knows about creativity and sometimes the great difference between the two. When God comes to us and invites us into uh, co-creating in this world, As God says, look at the world around you. There are so many things that that you can do to make this a better world. There's so much unfinished business of creation. And I am calling you, yes, you, to go out into the world and to change the world. 
to make it a better place. And we just laugh at God. Or we fall on our faces and say, this, there is no way this could take place. It doesn't fit into our pattern of understanding, right? <clears throat> what God comes to us with sometimes is way beyond our reasonable expectation of what ought to be done in life. Think about it in your own life, the things that God has asked you to do. Have you laughed? Have you said, there is no way I could ever lead music? There is no way that I could ever teach Sunday school. There there is no way that I could ever be involved in uh, helping people who are struggling financially and to help give them hope. There's no way. There is no way that I could ever be of encouragement to anybody. There's no way God could use me. And it's not just about our limitations. It's about the limitations we put on God, right? And so what God says to us is laugh and laugh all you want, but I get the last laugh. And as you've always heard, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? Just tell God your plans and you'll hear laughter because God has plans that are even greater than we could ever understand. So it goes beyond our reason and how we think think things ought to be done. You have children when you're young, not when you're old. And you do things for God when you're good enough or when things are all going your way, not when your life is in a mess. God says, no, I can do anything I want. And I will. Other people have a hard time understanding that too. As they look at your life, or if we think about it in terms of our church and the things that God calls us to do, uh, maybe uh, you, when you first came to this church or when you first heard about it, you started laughing and you thought, what? They're going to start a church in the Highland neighborhood and it's going to be a, a church where diversity is celebrated? There's no way. That doesn't happen. And yet God made it happen. And you were co-creators in that process. And God used you in powerful ways. But co-creating is also scary, isn't it? It's not just laughable, it's scary. And we find this with Abraham and with, with Sarah. As they're wondering what's going on. They're out minding their own business. And all of a sudden these three people show up and begin to talk to them about something like you're going to have children and they start to wonder what in the world is this going to mean for us? We were looking forward to dying. We're not wanting to raise children. And yet, even without all the security of what it would be like to be young, They're willing and able. And God makes them that way. And yet they they carry this fear with them. And we see this fear throughout Scripture. And always fear comes up whenever God calls us to do something in faith. Fear comes. You start thinking of all of the reasons why you can't do something. And that's what was going on with Abraham and Sarah. When I was um, younger, and I was thinking about this the other day, I was driving past one of the city pools and the water was just so blue and kids and people were just all around the pool and I I thought 
man, I miss being a kid in the summer. When I was a kid, we lived real close to a swimming pool. And we would go down there every day. My parents would uh, let my brother and I just go down. We'd ride our bicycles. And we would spend the entire day, I mean, even into the evening, there swimming. You know, when you swim so much that your, your fingers, you know, start to, uh, to uh, turn. You know, you get all the wrinkles and everything else. And you, uh, your hair uh, smells like chlorine. And, uh, you know, you're, you're just uh, worn out from swimming all day. And that was my day, day after day, and that's probably the case for you as well. But there was that point when uh, it was really a rite of passage that if you were going to be a really cool kid, then you'd have to jump off the high dive. I had already mastered the, uh, just the regular diving board. We had this huge diving board, and I would watch my brother, and I'd watch all the other kids go off of that, and I'd think, wow, I wish I could do that. And uh, one day I decided I'm going to do it. I think one of my friends did it, and I thought, uh, well, it's time for me to do it. And so I remember climbing up the ladder, and I got about halfway up, looking straight up, and I saw the kid before me. Because if you were halfway up, that's as far as you could go uh, until the kid jumped off and swam to the side. So I was standing there, and I remember going right back down the line. And you know what happens when you go back down, don't you? you? There are people waiting behind you, and they start calling you names and, uh, you know, start saying all kinds of things. And so I walked the shame of steps down, and then the next day I got back and I decided to go on up to the top. When I got to the top, I still remember what that felt like under my feet, that, that diving board that was there. And I remember seeing the lines and then seeing the water way down there. And then I remembered the guy who uh, just the day before had jumped off and landed flat on his back. You know the kind where you, you hear it all across the pool and everybody's music stops and everybody stops and goes, oh, you know. And the kid gets out and has a red, you know, completely red back. I remember thinking about that. I remember thinking about the kid uh, just the week before that had jumped off and was trying to do a flip and hit his head on the back of the board and it uh, broke open and was bleeding in the pool. I was thinking about that. And there I stood and the taunts were going on down below me. Little Henson, that's what I was called. And I thought, I don't want to be Little Henson forever. It's time to, time to go. And I remember taking off and going off the end of that board and what it felt like as I went down and my feet hit the water. And it was so exhilarating. I wanted to do it again and again. And I did for the rest of that summer. I just continued to dive off of the high dive. But there was that fear in there that was keeping me from doing it. There were those questions in my mind. It was scary. And that's the way it is with God's call for us to be involved in creating things in this world. Have you noticed that about yourself? That as soon as God calls you to do something, you have that fear that comes into you? You think, I don't know that I could do that. Well, this could happen to me. Or, or these things uh, will, will come up in my life. Or people will say all these things about me. And yet, once you go, once you take that step... With God, you find that it's more exhilarating than scary. 
and that God is in it. God's called us to do some scary things. But co-creating with God also means that God gives us the power and the ability to do it. And really, God says, as he says to Abraham, and all this that's going on here, if you look back here and uh, towards the end of uh, this passage in, eight, in verse uh, 7 in uh, chapter 18, and then actually if you look down to verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I've grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Abraham's thinking, I didn't hear her laugh. God says, why? Why did she laugh? Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? That's what she said. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? I always think about Miss Lovelace. Uh, uh, how wonderful is that? She always says that. How wonderful is that? And as I read this, uh, I looked back, and, and the word there is difficult. And so what God is saying to Abraham is, uh, is there anything too difficult for God? Yeah, you could laugh all you want, but why do you think I can't do that? And so the question is answered for Abraham. He may not believe it in that moment, but the question is answered, I can do this, and I will do this. Life can be scary, but it can also uh, be so wonderful that we could never imagine how wonderful God can be, that nothing can overcome what God wants to do in this world. Nothing is too difficult. I wonder today, the difficulties as you face them and the things you may throw back to God and you may ask God the same question that Abraham did and you hear the same thing back. Is anything too wonderful for you? I mean, is anything too wonderful for me to do for you? Is there something that is so difficult that I cannot do that in your life or in your neighborhood or in your community or in your Congress, uh, in in your world? Is there anything that is so great? I mean, I'm the creator. I can do all things. And yet, we sometimes come up with all kinds of excuses about what God can and can't do. We have lots of questions, but God has lots of limitless power. There was uh, a quote uh, I read not too long ago, about uh, micro-lending. And one of the, we have a financial services program here, uh, and one of the people that we talked about when we started that was Muhammad Yunus. And he won a Nobel Peace Prize for his work with micro-lending, especially in uh, countries, uh, not so much here in the United States, but in other countries where there's a, a real sense of community and village. And the idea is that you, you are partnering with your neighbors to uh, do things financially and have a good economy in your village, to, to create jobs, to make things. And you are essentially borrowing money from your neighbors. And the, uh, the pot uh, of treasury moves around within that group, and everybody holds each other accountable. So if somebody doesn't pay their loan, then... You go knock on their door, the neighbor goes and says, hey, that's our money right here on our street. And you've got to pay this back because we can't do what we need to do unless you do that. So there's that social accountability. And, and Eunice says, unprecedented technological capabilities 
combined with unlimited human creativity, have given us tremendous power to take on intractable problems like poverty, unemployment, disease, and environmental degradation. Our challenge is to translate this extraordinary potential into meaningful change. And we have that potential. And there are intractable problems that we face. So I hope you will see Church for the Highlands as a place and a people who co-create with God. We've done a lot of co-creating thus far, but we have a lot more to go. And it all comes down to you seeing your place of creativity. Let us go to God, our creator, in prayer.